This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geek show number 303, recorded on March 30th, 2017. Here at Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets that find their way in your home. News reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for the average tech guy. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the Average Guy TV studios here in Belgium, Nebraska. And of course, we post the show with world-class show notes each week out at TheAverageGuy.tv. You can also join us live. Love to have you do that. Join us live on our mobile app, and a few more of you are downloading those each week. Easiest way to do that is on your device. Head out to HomeGadgetGeeks.com, and the button's there to subscribe. Uh, Home Gadget Geek Cyber Frontiers, which... Taking a little break on Cyber Frontiers. Don't don't subscribe to Home Tech Tips. We haven't done one of those in a while. But subscribe to Home Gadget Geeks right there, homegadgetgeeks.com. And we want to thank LastPass for their sponsorship of our app. And uh, they'll be coming on here shortly in the next couple of weeks, I think. Well, now it might be a month or two this summer before they come back in. But we'll thank LastPass for their sponsorship of the app. Don't forget, we have a Patreon link or Patreon links available for you out there on the site. Head out to theaverageguy.tv. Look in the right-hand side. And you'll see the Patreon link right there available for you. If you want to financially support the show, we have one and $5 plans. And we thank those who are doing that right now. I appreciate your sponsorship of Home Gadget Geeks. Help us keep the lights on and all those other fun expenses that pop up, like Auphonic. That, um, I had a, we had a really bad show. Um, I shouldn't say bad. The show was really good. But Mike Weger, you remember when we had, when we had um, Larry on. Larry's volume was really low, and so we, when I recorded that, and I put out the version, the raw version, it didn't sound very good. Neil let me know, and so we quick, I quick bought some credits over at Auphonic and ran that through, and man, that's magic brought up. That when you were Mike Weger, when you were podcasting, did you ever use Auphonic to level out your? Well, it's funny. I used it for the same reason you did in like an emergency situation where the guest for some reason in the final cut recording was way too low. And you're right. It is like podcasting magic. Well worth the money, especially if you just don't want to have to mess with it. You could run that through every single week and you would end up with a pretty decent sounding podcast. I think that's what I'm going to do. It's I think it's 11 bucks a month for the number of credits that we need for Home Gadget Geeks and maybe a little bit a little bit of other things that I do. And so, and then I think part of my, I just changed my workflow now. So we drop it into Auphonic, A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C. If you want to look at, if you want to look this up, um, I'll drop it in. It, it levels it. It gives it that 16 luffs so that it, it uh, it's the right sound volume as well. And then it takes out some noise and it looks for some other things. If you've got any clipping or some of those other things, it looks for that and takes it out. So, so when you support the show, it allows me to uh, subscribe to those kind of things. And we appreciate that. If you want to support, head out to uh, theaverageguy.tv slash support. All right, Mike Howard, I want to introduce you first because I want to ask you, have you ever used Auphonic to level out your podcasting stuff? No, I do all that in addition. You can do all that in addition, right? Well, I don't know if Audition has all the magic. I think there's some things you can do, like you can level it to the right volume. Mm -hmm. You can bring up the sound in various spots, but I'm not sure it'll allow you to automatically, if the sound's low, like in a podcast, like I talk and then you talk, Auphonic automatically brings all those low spots up. I wasn't aware of of you. Well, yeah, I use Normalize that does some of that, and then you do have the match loudness thing. So yep. you said sixteen lows. I actually do nineteen, which I think is when you do mono, isn't it nineteen? I think so. 
but either one, as long as you're consistent, that's what that matters. No, and it's super easy though. Upload it and it does yeah. it all for you. <laughs> Whoever made that rule, it's just whatever it works for you. What you don't want to have happen is it be all over the place, like you were saying, where every time you talk, you're at 16 luffs, and every time he talks, he's at 23 luffs, and you know, you're all messed up. Well, I was listening to one in the car. It's just really frustrating when you're trying to listen to a podcast in the between the yes. host and the guests, it's going up and down and you're changing it. And I've never, I think in the 300 I've done, I maybe had one that's been like that. And when I kicked that thing out a couple of weeks ago with uh, Larry from, from ghost browser, I thought, Oh, I should probably fix this, but I put it out anyways. And sure enough, like, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm doing that maybe be different than you watch it works for me in addition is that i record me on the left channel and the guest and the co-host on the right channel and then i can independently adjust them and normalize them and then level them yeah you must have some things going on we lost a little bit of your bandwidth there so mike while it comes back and it will come back let's introduce mark robson he's back mark welcome to home gadget geeks thank you good to have you back if you're a longtime listener you know mark and mike uh howard were on the last time. And Uyghur, were you here when we did the barbecue? I was not. I was traveling. I remember listening to it while I was traveling. Like, oh, my mouth was watering. It was not good to be in a plane with terrible food listening to a show about good food. Yeah, I, it actually, I, I bought, out of that show, I bought the grill, uh, Mike, what's the, the, there's like a silicon grill sheet that's that looks Frog like mat? a Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I asked for that for Christmas. And then Mark, I think you had you showed the tube, right? That you can put the yeah, amazing smoking tube. Yes. Yep. So for Christmas, I got the amazing smoking tube, and I got the mats. And the, the mats. Let me tell you, we cooked fajitas the other day, and so I did um, flank like flank steak, right? So I cooked those, and we brought those in and sliced them up. And then I did the peppers and the onions and the whatever. I did that on the mat. Oh man, guys, that makes a huge difference. Fire roasted vegetables. Those mats are so easy to clean and they're cheap. They're not that expensive. So when they finally wear out, you can replace them fairly easily. Yeah, I made the mistake of leaving the mat. So I took the stuff in and there was a small little grease fire from from the steak. Mm-hmm. And it, it was up underneath the mat and it was enough that it charred through or burnt yeah. through the, is it silicon? Is that what's on the, it, what's that, what, what are the, what's it coated with, do you think? Mark, do you know what those, those mats some are? Sort of te- some sort of Teflon. Yeah. Yeah, something. So I burned a hole in it. And I was like, oh, dang, it was brand new. <laughs> oh, you can't trust me with anything. <laughs> so, um, but it's fine. I, I actually then just folded it in half. And for me, that uh, it came, you know, it came folded in half. And so for me, that fit my grill better. So that actually just works just fine. So I fold it in half, put the veg- vegetables on top. It works great. Next thing for you to buy, and it's not that expensive also, is grill grates. Yeah. What what are those? They're what? an aluminum extrusion that allows you to grill without having flare ups. Hmm. Oh, underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, on top. No, I'm but they go underneath the grill, right? They no. go between no. the on oh. top. On you top. actually put the food on, on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And then you can flip it over also and use the backside as a griddle, kind yeah. of. Okay. Well with holes in it. Yeah. yeah. Well, it wasn't a big, it wasn't a big deal. It's just, I shouldn't have left. Uh, I should have pulled that right off when I was done with it. And I didn't, we'd, I'd actually used it to cook bacon and uh, that works pretty well to cook bacon on those as well. So some pretty cool stuff that has been a super popular show. I forget the number of it to something, I think to 67, maybe I want to say, or something like that. 
maybe maybe it's maybe 278 i don't know just go back put bbq in the search on uh, head over to the average guy.tv and you will find that a super good episode mike Weger. we were sad that you missed it but uh, we'll have to do it again we'll have to yeah. maybe as we get into the summer we'll have to do a summer fourth of july or some something along those lines all right tonight we came to talk about drones and uh, the three of you i'm basically just going to wind you guys up <laughs> and then i'm going to sit back and let you, you talk through this but uh, we're going to talk about drones tonight we have a couple different sizes you guys have done a couple different things with them we have two in the united states and one in canada We've got all kinds of things to talk about, but I think where we're going to start, uh, Uyghur, we'll start with you, um, and let's let's just do kind of a walkthrough of your equipment, what you have, what you bought, what it does, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've been wanting, I've been wanting to do this show for a while, and every time I start to bring it up, Jim's like, "Wait, stop, save it. We're we're going to have just a show for that. Don't worry." So uh, I've been holding this in for quite a while, ever since I think December when I got my drone. So we're finally, it's like you know, finally getting to talk about it. It's a lot of fun. So. Uh, my history where I started with drones was obviously the first time I saw them. Well, not the first time I saw them, but the first time I saw them in a manner of which that I thought, Oh, that could be useful for me was Casey Neistat on YouTube. He's a vlogger and he started to use a drone in his vlog, which was kind of different. Not many people had done that before. Drones had obviously been used and were out there, but weren't being used um, for the everyday YouTuber. So I got really interested in it and then I ended up snagging one um, in December. So the model I have is the DJI Phantom 4, which um, apparently they are discontinuing because they're going to go only with their pro uh, pretty soon here. I think you can still get the four for now, but they're going to discontinue it pretty soon. So the DJI Phantom 4, these are going to run you around $1,200. And DJI, when it comes to consumer grade drones, I think all three of us here are DJI branded uh, flyers. Um, it's it's going to be your standard consumer grade drone in the higher end. So you can get all sorts of drones uh, below, you know, sub 1000 or actually no, the Mavic is right at, I think a thousand dollars or $900. So uh, sub like $700 drones, um, DJI doesn't really play in that space. But if you're looking to really get into drones, I really suggest looking at DJI because you're, they're going to have a lot of features and we'll start talking about them. Everyone here, as we start to get into them. So my hardware is the Phantom four and then I got some extra accessories and maybe we'll save accessories for a little bit, you know, down the line. We'll let everyone kind of get into what they have and then we can kind of go from there. So, uh, Mr. Howard, what are you working with? I have, I got the Mavic, uh, DJI Mavic Pro. Let's see. I have little legs on them too. Can you, know? you can see them. Yeah. So I have little legs on them to raise them up. Cause the one thing with the Mavic sits really low to the ground. Mm -hmm. So I have little legs on it. You would take this off before you fly. And there's your little camera. Um, really nice and compact. The, the legs fold in on themselves. So it fits really nice and compact. And I, I bought, I got the buy more package which was, I think the same thing Mark got. So it comes with the drone, which has one battery. And then the buy more comes with two more batteries, a car char charger, uh, a multi-charger, this this little thing. I guess we're going to do accessories later. But it comes with a lot of things, including a bag. And, Mike, what's the? how long does the battery last? They say the battery will last 27 minutes, but I think it's, it, you know, realistically, it's going to be somewhere between 20, 25 minutes. For for my bag, I, I have a little bit bigger bag than what Mark's going to show. I use a old camera bag. It's a backpack camera bag. And I have everything that I have for my drone in the bag. I take it with you. Uh, Mark, what about you? 
So I got uh, the same one. It's called the Flymore package. Flymore, so it was a thousand bucks for the drone, and then the Flymore was uh, three hundred dollars extra. And when I started adding it all up, it's about five hundred dollars worth of stuff that you get for three hundred bucks. So for for scale, that's my hand. So the thing is is not much bigger than a man purse, and that's the benefit of it is that I can actually take this as my personal item on a plane and still have my carry on. So mm -hmm. the, uh, the way they do the, the rules on the plane is that you can have one personal item plus your carry on. So I have my backpack, my laptop or tablet in it, and that's everything I need for a weekend. So that's got spare blades in it. It's got spare um, memory card holders. It's got chargers. It's got spare batteries. And then inside the actual top of it, you got the, drone and some legs and uh, a little sunshade that I bought like put onto it. So that's basically everything that I need to go flying for a weekend. Yeah, those packages are nice. If you're looking to get into flying the drones, those starter or the fly more packages, whatever you want to call them, are nice because they do get you set up because if you are going to spend that much money on a drone and I mean, you're obviously going to spend some time with this and those are things you're going to end up buying. I ended up buying a second battery and all that within the first month anyway. So mm -hmm. I could have saved myself some money grabbing one of those fly more deals. I didn't even see one uh, when we got it, but, uh, but I, I wish I would have because now I've spent more money than I wish buying them separately. Are, the are batteries an issue when we think about, I mean, length of time, you guys have all flown them. Yeah. Is, it, is it kind of a pain to switch that thing out every 20 minutes? No. Not a pain. It's it's real easy to switch out, but it's the one. If you can buy one accessory, it's batteries. Oh yeah, but they're expensive. I mean, these will run you a hundred bucks to to yeah. grab a new battery. So you're gonna drop some serious cash when it's talking about even just the battery on grabbing some extra ones. And then if you want to get an expansion charger that charges them faster instead of switching it out, waiting the amount of time for each battery. That'll add up too. So you're gonna you're gonna drop some coin on accessories. It's just when do you want to do it up front or do you want to wait a little bit? And Mark, it sounds like you bought a package. Is it better to think about buying these? And am I right? Did you buy it through through a package? And is it better I, I, to use it that way? I went and looked at it. Um, like Mike said, the batteries are well, for the Mavic. They're ninety bucks a piece. So you get two batteries right away. You get a car charger. Um, you get the uh, the four way charger for the Mavic, so it charges it charges four up to four batteries at once, but one at a time. It just cycles through them. Starts off with the camera for the lowest or the highest first. Um, so I didn't really care about, they have another one that's a, uh, a USB port. So you can actually put a, block, a battery into a holder and then have two USBs come off it. So it's like a portable battery pack. I didn't care about that. And when I took out the things I didn't really care about, I was still cheaper to buy the um, the Flymore package than not. Because mm -hmm. um, I knew I was going to buy some form of case. This thing actually fits it perfectly. Um, I bought... Uh, Excuse me. On top of the drone, I've, I've still spent probably two hundred dollars in accessories on different things that you're going to need to get anyway to be able to use it properly. Well, hold, um, hold that for just a second. Is it um, how long does it take to charge the batteries? Then, when you you know, so you you run it for twenty minutes and then you may switch it out and play with it for twenty more. Do they charge back up in a pretty quick amount of time? Uyghur, is that with yours it seems pretty big. How fast does how fast does yours charge? It's going to take about half an hour, half an hour to 45 minutes. I'd say you can get a decent charge. I haven't really timed it because usually two, 
you think you would want to fly these things all day and you can, but they're, these aren't racing drones, right? You're not going out and racing your buddies. So by the time, even if I go through two batteries and go through about 40 minutes to an hour worth of fly time, that, that's a good amount of time for me. I'm usually done by then. You got to think you're filming a lot of that. So SD cards, it just all adds up. So really I'm, tr- I'm going through both batteries, taking them home and charging them overnight and not really worrying about it. But the car charger is nice. I've used that uh, a few times as I'm driving to the next spot. And it's usually enough time that if you leave the car on, you drive to another spot, you're charged back up. You got another battery. So it's not too bad. Two, three batteries would, I think would be perfect. I think that would be about the right amount of time. If you had an hour and a half, a little bit less to fly, that's going to be your sweet spot. I heard that three batteries was, was the three batteries gives you just enough time to use one, charge one and have one ready to go. Right. Exactly. Exactly what I do. I have three batteries. And by the time I'm done with all three, I'm pretty much done flying for the day. Yeah. And I just take them home and charge them up. Mike Howard, when you when you're flying and you're, I assume you're taking pictures mm-hmm. uh, and video. Is does it uh, you fill up a card in in the twenty minutes or forty minutes that you're flying? And so, do you kind of need to get that card somewhere, or how's that? How does that normally work? I've never filled up the card. It's, a, it's I think I have a sixty four gig card, so I have not filled it up on one shoot yet. Um, the photos on on the Mavic, the, it's a twelve megapixel camera. Um, so you can fit a lot of photos on there. Uh, the, the 4K does, and I shoot only in 4K. The 4K does suck up a lot of space. I think it's a gig a minute. Yeah. It'll shoot up a lot of space. But you got plenty of space with your Unraid, right? Is that the- <laughs> I do. I have, I have nearly unlimited space. We just had to get Unraid in there. Actually, uh, it was funny. Somebody sent me a note the other day. This was literally maybe two weeks ago. Like, hey, have you guys thought about doing an Unraid show? <laughs> Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's all we talk about. But uh, anyways, it's it's good. Uh, from a storage standpoint, Mike uh, Weger, do you have or what, what kind of card are you running in yours? And do you, do you run out of space or do you have enough? Well, and I learned this tip early on. See, I know uh, Mike Howard is into photography and I do take some photos, but I'm more of a video guy. I'm going for the footage and especially with the company that I'm starting with this drone, it's all about video. And I read somewhere, someone's like, hey, if you have a 64 gig card, there is no reason that you should ever stop recording. Start recording before you take off and stop when you land. That way you don't miss anything because the tendency is to get up there, try and line up a shot like you would a normal video camera, hit record, hit stop record when you're done. But a lot of the coolest shots with the drone happen when you don't even realize it. You're flying back, you fly over something, something flies in front of you. I've had a hawk fly right in front and I didn't get it on camera because I wasn't recording. So uh, when you have a 64 gig card, I can go through two batteries, be recording the entire time, both flights and, and be fine. I think a gig a minute is sounds about right because if I fly for 20 minutes on each battery, about 40 gigs, I've never even gotten close to filling up the um, 64 gig card. So that sounds about right about a gig a minute. And I'm also, I only shoot in 4k and that's a great, uh, what Mark's showing right there, Mark, explain what you got. Cause I have one of those two and it's a lifesaver. Let's say, uh, a memory card holder. So this holds uh, eight uh, micro SD cards and an SD card, and on the other side of it holds three three more SD cards. So that's 128 gig plus I have 16 gig in the drone right now. Yeah, Mike Howard, do you, uh, you for photography? I'm I'm sure you probably already have that covered, right? Your storage of your cards. Yeah, and I I only bring one card, so I just leave it in the drone. But uh, I you know more like Uyghur, where I mainly use this just for video. I have not done a lot of photography with it. I've done a little oh, bit. Okay. 
But um, and I agree. Once you, you you turn the thing on, start recording right away because you never know. Right. And you need a lot of footage to get the few minutes that are actually going to work because you're jerking it around, not moving it smoothly. You need those those moments you're going to splice together later on. Um, and you mentioned a bird, so birds will come after the thing. You have to watch. Oh, no. <laughs> Be ready to avoid them. We have a hawk that uh, nests right in. There's a big row of trees to just probably 300 feet from my house that a hawk lives in, and he does not like the drone. No. About about half the time, I see him flying around, and he's getting around it. He doesn't come, and he hasn't hit it yet, but he flies around it. He does not like the thing. Yeah. So. Isn't that funny that they feel threatened by those? We we got on the cards, Mike, I do. We didn't cover your bag, and you've got a pretty, you Mike Weger, you've got yeah. a pretty sizable bag. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I'll talk about first, I mean, for that case, uh, it's worth it to sometimes go with a waterproof one. So I grabbed a waterproof uh, SD card holder, mainly because this it's the same SD card for the drone as it is for my GoPros. And so when I'm taking my GoPros, a lot of times I'm going to water destinations, I'm going to um, the mountains to ski or snowboard. So having a waterproof one, I can put it and not worry about dropping it when I drop the GoPro in the water or anything like that. So one little side note, but as far as bags go, so the, the trouble I ran into was I got this drone, but I was still traveling a lot for work. And it comes when you buy these drones, at least the Phantom 4, comes in a hard styrofoam case. So you've got, it's cut out, it's molded just for the drone. Uh, it's nice, but it's big and bulky and it doesn't have any more storage for anything else besides one extra battery and the power cord. So if you want to take anything else, you're kind of out of luck. So I looked around and, and tried to find a bag that would work for me. And so this is what I decided to go with. And this is the Polar Pro uh, drone bag. So it's obviously pretty big, but it's a backpack style. So, I mean, it actually looks bigger than it is. It's not too bad. And the reason I went with this bag was because it's meant especially for plane travel. It's actually got a TSA lock on it in the back part where the drone is stored. And the way the backpack is configured, you can carry your drone, a full laptop, chargers for your laptop, a DSLR camera, and all in one case. So when I was traveling, I always want to take my laptop to edit. So I wanted a one-stop bag that I could just grab and go and always have everything I needed and for sure be set. So the way this bag works is the back actually unzips. So you've got the front of the bag. So if someone, even when it's on your back, if someone unzipped it, uh, they would not have access to the drone. So the part that the drone is actually on the back. You've got a TSA lock that the zippers click into and you unclick it. Oh, you would lay it down. Obviously I don't have the drone in here so I can do this, but you open it up and you've got compartments in here that store absolutely everything. So it's customizable. Um, Mike Howard's probably really familiar with this style of bag because it's a classic photography bag where you have the Velcro dividers that you can move set up yeah. to fit your custom setup. So the way I have it set up right now is for my drone, the DSLR batteries, and then I've got a whole nother compartment actually for when I went to Utah that stores my GoPro. So this bag houses everything I need. If I want to shoot video, take photos, uh, it's a one, one bag solution, which is what I was looking for because I'm also starting a little company with this drone and I want to be able to grab this bag, put it in my car whenever I go out to shoot for this job and have everything. I don't want to be like, oh shoot, I didn't grab that bag. I didn't grab that DSLR. Maybe I want a second shot, not with the drone. I just want to be able to have everything. So that bag, it's going to be a little pricey. Well, I mean, for a, for a decent bag, it's actually not. It's like $110. So if you're thinking about buying a quality drone um, bag, 
it's it's a good option, I think. And compared to there was one, there was a Manfrotto case or bag that was very very similar. Um, the Manfrotto one though was about hundred and seventy dollars, so it was a little bit more. And I think I got the Polar Pro one on sale. I think it's usually about one fifty. So uh, there's some options out there, but really the Manfrotto and the Polar Pro are kind of two of the bigger, more reviewed bags you're going to find on YouTube. Mike Weger, the, uh, Ken was asking, you mentioned the company that you're doing this with, that you yeah. bought this drone for. Can you just talk a little bit about that? What's the name of it and why, what are you doing? Yeah. So uh, I, my wife and I were flying this thing around and she saw how much I was flying it. And so I was thinking about the fact that, man, it'd be kind of cool if I could actually do this for a job and because I love flying it so much anyway. And we remember that when we were looking at houses, we just bought a house recently we saw some posts on Facebook and the ones that caught our eye was you're scrolling and all of a sudden you've got a really cool aerial shot of a home and it's posted by a realtor. And it kind of added a whole new dimension to the listing. You really got to see the setting, how it fit into the neighborhood. It wasn't just, you know, you weren't flipping through photos trying to think, okay, well, was that the, wait, how does that fit into the other photo? Is this this wall? Is this that wall? It really brought the whole thing together. So uh, the company I'm starting now, and it's actually launching on Saturday. And when you don't have a brick and mortar, a launch is just kind of arbitrary, but we're picking a day to be open for business. And it's going to be on April 1st. It's called Upshot. And so upshotomaha.com is going to be, is the URL. And basically we are a aerial imaging company for realtors. So we've been talking to some realtors saying, Hey, we will go out and get the footage for you. And you know, there's different, the way we're doing our pricing tier is, Hey, if you're a computer guy and you love editing video, I'll go out and get the raw stuff and I'll just send it to you. Uh, or option number two, I will make the promo video for you, edit it all together, have the finished product that you can just take and post to Facebook or anywhere else. So we just noticed that it's something that really adds to the listings. So we decided to do it. And the second reason I decided to go into that market is because if everyone were to follow the law, realtors could not go out, buy a drone and do this by themselves without being licensed. So in the United States, if you want to do this for money, you need to go and take a test. You pay $150, you take a test um, and $150, whether you pass or fail, you only get to take it once. And then if you pass, you get licensed and you get one of these fancy FAA cards and it says, hey, I can fly a drone and make money from it. So Point being that you kind of, when you're talking to these realtors, you can save them all from paying the fee and licensing themselves, and I can just go out and do it for them. Uh, so that's the general premise of the company. And then we're launching this weekend. So maybe I'll give an update and see how uh, how everything goes after we launch. No, that's cool. And I'm sure we'll talk about it in episodes, you know, uh, yes. going forward. Mike Howard, your bag's a little bit different. And let's dig yeah. in a little bit on the accessories too, if you have anything more you want to talk yeah, about. So but go ahead and talk my about bag. So I have I have what was can you see the bag? Yep. I have uh what it was my camera bag, but I don't use it as a camera bag anymore. So that's the camera bag I already had. And it's a low pro and um in here I have everything I use. I have the drone right in this area. And I have them a little protected with this thing. I have the the four port thing that that Mark was talking about where you can oh, yeah. charge four batteries at once. I have my extra batteries, two extra batteries. Um We'll get to this in just a second. And then I have all the charger stuff over in this section. Then I have in the front, I have the controller, which the controller for the Mavic is really nice and small. You can see there, little things come up. So there's your controller and you would fit your phone. Or in this case, I must have had a tumor or something. 
I'm, I'm sorry. What? What is that? I must have. I must have had a brain tumor or something, and I bought this stupid thing. <laughs> and it, it's you know actually. So I looked to see. Well, say what it is, so folks on the audio know what what are we what are we laughing about? I don't know if I can say the words. He, he bought the best tablet you can buy, so he bought an iPad and I bought an uh, iPad Mini. An iPad Mini and. For you know, okay, so it fits in there actually at the maximum. You can't put the arms out any further than than what this is at. Um, it's the the same the thickness you would need because I think some of the Android ones I looked at were too thick or or whatever. You want as big of a screen as you can on this thing to to look at. Um, I will tell you one of the keys to get when you get the little whatever their port thing that they call it to stick into the side for the port. You want one that's angled. If you have the normal one, it just comes straight out your hand is going to be bumping up against it all the time. So you want an angled one. I have it. Yeah. So an angled right lightning here. cord. Lightning yeah. Cable. Yep. So if I can get it in there like that, you want something like that where it's angled. Well, um, Mike, what are you, what are you using to what, what uh, use an iPad mini as well? No, I actually use, so my, I have an iPad, but it's too old. The video gets really choppy. So I just use my iPhone works all right. And I always have it with me. And I'm looking to upgrade to an iPad. I was going to ask uh, these two guys, because, Mark, do you fly with an iPad or an iPhone? Android. There's no oh, Apple. Android. Android tablet, though? Is it a big tablet? No, it's a Note 4. Okay. So, because I've been wondering if the extra screen real estate really does help when you line up your shots and you're trying to make sure you have the lighting and everything. I know if you have a hood, uh, it really helps the sun guard. See, one of those. Mm-hmm. That would be perfect. I think one of those would help me with my phone. Um, Show that again, Mark. Would you Would you hold that up to the camera? Yeah, you can't really see much here. Um, it's just a fold-out hood that actually bolts onto or goes onto the antennas to give you some shade. So you can imagine fr- when you're watching something that's really – when you're out in the sun and you're trying to see your phone, sometimes you go like this to block out the light. Well, that hood just does that for you. It makes it so it's darker in there, yeah. easier for you to see the exposure on your – film and everything like that yep exactly like that i i was using my phone but every time you would go to use it you would need to take it out of the case and that became a pain in the butt so that's why i went to this the the one downside well many things i don't like about it but we won't go into that it doesn't get bright enough so i need some kind of hood like you just mentioned to try and help up there and that's what i mean we, we can talk about kind of the future offerings too dji just released with their phantom 4 and some of their other product lines, they're offering a new controller. So what I wanted to mention too was when we looked at Mike's uh, controller, everything about the Mavic is much smaller, more portable than the Phantom series. And unless you are at at a Phantom 4 Pro, really between the Phantom 4 that I have and the Mavic, there is not that much of a difference. There is a very, very, very slight difference, but not much, not even one that's noticeable. But look at the size difference. So this is the controller I have to use with mine. And the controller that Mike just used, much smaller. And so when you have to fold this thing up and put it in a bag, combined with the drone that doesn't fold in the arms, has the big legs on it. I mean, this just takes up a lot more space. Um, so these two guys probably have it right. If you're looking for a travel drone, the Mavic is a, is a really good option because everything about it is more portable. Yeah. You want me to talk about another accessory? Yeah. If you what else you get, you had that, you had that thing that we talked yeah, so- about. I, I would say the first accessory you get is the battery, but the next one you want to look at, and they're not that expensive, is a filter set. So I got the DJI filter. They're, these things are junk. 
and they're more expensive. They're like 80 bucks or whatever they are. I would not get the DJI ones. This is the Polar Pro ones. Yes. And they are much nicer. They're cheaper in cost, but, you know, they're, they're be better quality. And I have a ND4 and a ND16, I think, or something. And what do they do? So what they, one of the problems you have when you go to shoot video is that it's so bright outside if you're shooting, you know, anything other than sunset or sunrise that you're getting too high of a shutter speed. You may want a high shutter speed, but to get the best, the, the cin cinematic quality of video, you want to be shooting your shutter speed to be twice your frames per second. So on the Mavic, the maximum you can shoot in 4K is 30 frames per second. So you want your shutter speed to be 60, uh, one sixtieth of a second uh, or thereabouts. You, you know, if I go shoot in the middle of the day, I can't get anywhere near that. So you want to stick on an ND filter to cut out a whole bunch of the light. So, you know, one of these, one of these guys like this, this one here, I mean, it's, it's pretty much black. You can see that. Where my, where's my camera? It's even, it's even worse if you try shooting in the, in the snowy weather. Yeah. So you, you, you're, you're trying to cut out that, that light to get a, a um, slower shutter speed, which um, so what he's talking about is you can unscrew, at least on the Pro, you can unscrew the top, the front of that. It just unscrews and you can screw on a new filter. And I don't know, how does it work on the on the Mavic? Is it unscrew or does it pop over the top? Here, I'll take it out and show you. If I can do this without well, messing While he's something. doing that, Mark, you did, do you have those filters? Is that what you were showing as well? Have you bought those? And, and yeah. how, about how much are those? Uh, I got this set. I've actually got two sets, uh, two different companies, or same company, two different sets, I think. Um, this was a newer NWER. -E uh, -E I think for the six of them, it was $25 Canadian. So not terrible. Not really good price, because usually they're about 60 or $70 for a three-pack from Polar Pro. Yeah. yeah, I had to get these from China. Okay, Mike, Howard, camera's on you. So here's here's the my camera on the drone, and here's the filter, and you just stick it on top of it. I'm not going to push too hard here, but you, you just stick it on there. I would fix it a little bit better, but that's all you really have to do. And then you take it off. Oops. Yeah. When you're ready to fly, when you're done. That's Quite it. Quite a bit easier than yeah, unscrewing. So these ones unscrew, the whole front lens unscrews okay. on it. Which is kind of nice because it, it you know it's on there. Uh, fits a little snugger, but um, obviously takes a little bit more time. Yeah. Mark, any accessories that you have that we haven't talked about? Probably that. Have you guys seen those? But talk about it because there's audio no. only. So these are charging bags. Um, they call them lipo safe bags because uh, lithium polymer batteries have a, a habit sometimes of exploding and burning. So these are actually uh, explosion proof fire bags. So you can use them when you're traveling. So I'm gonna. I'm not gonna pack that in my bag when I bring it over uh, on me on the plane. But when I get over to Europe this summer, I'll actually have my bags in those, and they're big enough that I'll actually hold two of my batteries. Um, you can actually put them in there. It's designed so you can actually charge your batteries in them. So if I'm using a single charge of a battery, I'll put that in there to charge it up. Um, the battery card, the battery, uh, the memory card holder we talked about, I have the, uh, that's pretty, everything, I think most of us have the same accessories. The only other thing I have is, if I can reach some, um, prop guards, which I haven't put on yet. Um, yeah, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> What's that? I'm not. I'm not sure I'm going to do that. Those things are crazy. They make well, the drone huge. They do, and they turn off the sensors. At least on the Phantom Four, if you have prop guards on, even the ones bought by DJI, it turns off the sensors. 
Yeah, so, these, these ones don't. Yeah. So okay. you just imagine like that's again for scale. That's the size of it. So it makes the the drone huge for it. Um, I have them because it was a recommendation by Drone Valley. I think was the guy that I was listening to, and he's a he's a pretty good, pretty knowledgeable guy. Um, the only other things I have are uh, uh, spare props. I have uh, I think three sets of spare props. You know where I would use those prop guards is if I was flying inside. Yep. Yeah. Or, or in confined spaces of any sort, like inside a building or. If you're if you're new, would it would it help if you crash it? Does it? No. They're hard. They're hard to crash. Yeah. Like they're. And that, that's what I thought we could go into next was kind of the technology around the drones. We've talked about what we have. And for people who really maybe aren't, because everyone knows what a drone is. Obviously, it flies. And you know the general concept of a drone. But uh, my impression was a, a drone's a drone. And that was before I got into it. And when I first got the DJI, the technology will drastically improve your experience when you are flying a drone. And if you spend the money um, on the DJI brand or something equivalent, but really DJI, a lot of people have been doing comparisons between some other companies and DJI just kind of has the market right now. Um, it really does increase your flight time. Number one, your learning curve. Number two. So Jim was talking about when you first start, uh, how easy is it? And my whole family was shocked. I actually got this out for the first time and me, my wife, my sister, uh, my dad and my mom all took a shot at flying it. No one even got close to wrecking. And that's because these drones are built with a lot of different sensors that help you fly. So the first ones being your front-facing sensors. So this is the four, remember? So a lot of the difference between this drone and what they've gone up to in the Phantom 4 Pro, and I believe they're going to have a Mavic Pro here sometime soon. It's still the Mavic, and I think they're getting ready for a Mavic Pro. Am I correct on that? No, it's it's the Mavic Pro. no that's just the Mavic. No, it's a Mavic no, it's Pro. A Pro. Really? Yeah, they didn't come out with a, a Mavic and a Mavic Pro. It's just a Mavic Pro. Okay, interesting. Okay, I think they might come out with a second series though of Mavic that has more sensors. Yeah. Is is maybe the the next generation of those. Um, but so for this, you have your forward facing sensors. So as you're flying forward, as long as you are in the right mode, <laughs> it's very important to not be in sport mode or addy mode. Uh, you are. This thing is going to stop in time and not run into anything going forward. And then also on the bottom, you have bottom sensors that when it's coming down, it will also avoid obstacles coming down. So forward and down, you can't hit anything. But you also got to remember when you get used to that side to side, you can still hit stuff. And backwards, you can still hit stuff. Yeah. So my first time having to send this in for repair, I was doing a, I was fading back from a house. I was getting, I was building actually my prep reel and I was fading back doing a pull away shot and barely caught a branch of a tree and sent this thing tumbling and uh, had to send it in. I learned, Hey Mike, you can fly towards it and reverse it in post-production. There's yeah. so there, there was the key uh, for some those little tricks that you learn after you um, crash it for the first time. So those sorts of technologies really will help you out when you're first starting. Mark mentioned beginner mode. It's pretty much a mode that only lets you go a certain distance in the uh, height-wise, altitude-wise, and a distance away from you. So it keeps you kind of in this beginner range uh, line of sight. We talked about line of sight. We talked about, um, you know, you have to be able to see the drone, right? And it does help you when you're learning to fly because these things can go pretty far. I've gotten this thing about three miles away from me, 
and 400 feet in the air. So it was at 400 feet cruising. We were down at Hannah's farm, obviously in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, and it was cruising about three miles away. And it was really cool to see something get that far away and still have the, um, the capability to return home and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, the technology really helps. Jim, this, this is a traditional style controller. Um, not sure how clear it's going to come through, it's good. but you can see all the buttons, all the triggers on it. And that's what I was playing with, with guys like this beforehand. So that's a, a four axis model helicopter using lithium polymer batteries. And every one of these little horizontal and vertical dials here is trim adjustments. So when you're playing with those things, the first thing you have to try and do is get the thing to stay still. And that's, that's the very first thing we're trying to pop up a little a model heli is to try and get it in one spot. With the Mavic, you slide this button on your, on your touchpad or your screen to tell it to launch and it pops up two feet and stays there. There's no adjustments, there's no swaying, there's no, it just pops up two feet and says, okay, I'm ready to fly. And then you start flying Hovers the thing. perfectly. You, yeah, it just stays there. Absolutely yeah. perfect. And then when you're done, you say, okay, you either fly at home or you say return to home. The thing pops up to a preset altitude, does a beeline back to where you are, it starts coming down by itself, and then you can take over and you can land it. And it does the same thing. It goes down to about two feet above the ground, stays there until you grab the controls and you force it to the ground. And, and you know, the, the protections help you out a lot, but they're not foolproof. Like Mike said, no. when you go backwards, you lose it. One of the things I did, I think it was the first day I was out, I was testing the, the return to home. And there's a setting on the Mavic and maybe on the Pro 2, on the, uh, the Phantom, where the home is where you took off or the home is where you are with the controller. Mm -hmm. And so I had moved underneath the tree. This is in the winter where it had no leaves. <laughs> and I moved underneath the tree to try and get a little bit of shade. And I had it set to be the home was where I was. So I press home. It goes up, like Mark said, start flying backwards, goes over the tree, and then starts to come down. And I don't. I, it would have hit those branches because they're so small before the sensors had stopped it. So I was able to take control over it and cancel the flight and then come home and get it away. And in the return to home, when if, if it's doing an automatic land, the bottom sensors are actually turned off, which is shocking oh. to me. I'm not sure why. If you were manually landing it, um, the bottom sensors are activated, but in a automatic land or a return to home scenario, those bottom sensors don't turn on, which yeah. is interesting. So it would have never done anything anyway. It would have never done the, anything anyway. Yeah. yeah, it would hit the tree. That return to home is the number one best feature because you can just full throttle it and let it go as far as you want, lose connectivity, and all of a sudden the thing will be right above you and landing. Like if it loses connectivity, it'll automatically just come home to you, which is the coolest aspect. Of the yeah, so when you're first setting it up, right, first flight, it that's establishing home. Does that do it automatically? Do you have to say this is home? Every, Every time, time you power up, yep. Every time you turn it on and before you take off, it records its takeoff point. Yep. So it knows its its point of origin for that flight and that return to home is just, and it's it, it's automatic, right? So automatic. I lose it. I fly too far. It doesn't just keep flying. Nope. <laughs> if it loses communication, it flies back too. Yeah. Right. Well, it can come back if it senses its batteries are going to be too low and it can't. Yeah. Yes. So, so the battery sensor is one of the best things along the top. Uh, it keeps track of how far away it is from you, and it does its best job of guessing how much battery it's going to need to return. And if you start pushing those limits, it'll actually just initiate a return to home and and send it back home to you, which is pretty convenient. But it's also got a nice little marker so you can see the level too, so you know how mm -hmm. far away you are uh, and how how much battery you're going to need to get back. Uger, do you have the uh, DGI care? 
I do. And that was, that was definitely worth the money. If you buy one of these, I think it is worth it because the best part about the care program too is, so what they do is if you buy DJI care, I think it's an extra $200 when you buy it. Um, $100? Yeah. It was for the Mavic. Okay, I think it was two hundred for the Phantom when I got it. Maybe maybe one hundred and fifty somewhere. But either way, between one hundred and two hundred dollars, they will replace up to the full amount of what your Jonah's what the retail price was. So for me, twelve hundred dollars or eleven hundred, whatever it was, and they don't. That's not all just used up automatically when you use it. So I shipped it in. They did a repair. The repair was three hundred dollars, and they said your remaining balance is. $860 on your DJI care. So you can just keep using it. You can keep crashing. It's not a use it. Um, and then you, they drain the entire amount. They just take whatever they need from that account and keep going from there. Shipping's covered, which is great. It's different for the Mavic. The way it works yeah. for the Mavic is you pay a hundred bucks up front to get it. And then the first one you return back is a hundred bucks. And the second one you return back when the first year is 130. And you get full replacement. Yep. Yeah. Wait, but what, so what do you, so if you pay the hundred dollars for DJI care, uh, you break it, you send it into them. They charge you a hundred bucks. They, they charge you an extra hundred on top yeah. of the hundred you paid before. Yeah. But you oh. get a replacement one. You can have yeah. two replacements. Yeah. Two well, replacements the first year. See, but right. I don't know if that's even a good deal because a lot of times they can repair it for super cheap. It's just something that's broken. Whether my whole gimbal was broken and an arm was broken and they just said, okay, that's going to be about you know $350. We'll take that off of your $1,100 credit you have, and it just keeps going. So I paid the $150 once, and I will not have to pay again. I could wreck this thing probably three more times in the way I did before and never pay a dime. Is yours yeah, limited to one year? Uh, it is limited to one year. Okay, yeah, ours is too. Okay. There's another YouTuber that crashed his Mavic, and it was a $400 repair bill. And you're seeing that quite often that there, there's there's three to four hundred bucks every time on the, when they're repairing the Mavic. Yeah, and then that's about right. Yeah, and that's about what mine was. I think three fifty to repair it. And if the gimbal hadn't been broken, apparently the case is very cheap. It's like eight dollars they charge you to replace the hard shell if that cracks. So not too bad. Can asked how fast will it fly? The Mavic would do a little over forty miles an hour. And that's the way the Phantom is too. Yeah. So that's in sport mode and we can kind of get into, so the, these things have all these different modes and Mark was uh, starting to talk about them. So maybe I'll let him go into it, but I'll talk about the flight mode as in, so there's uh, P which is kind of um, is a program is that what it stands for. I think it's program mode, uh, Addy mode, which is your a, and then your sport mode, which is your S. So on your remote, you've got these modes and the Mavic might be different. Um, but basically you've got one mode that uses its GPS, uses all of its sensors to be perfectly stable. Um, it's going to limit it to about 22 miles an hour. Um, but you've got, it's got full control on automatic stuff. So Addy mode is taking all the sensors off of it. So this is used for, if you are a very talented pilot and you want to risk it and you're trying to cut through trees that usually the sensors would pick up and stop you from Addy mode allows you to just if you're trusting yourself, I mean, it's up to you. It's not using any of its sensors. And then sport mode is, I want to race this thing. I want to get up to 40 miles an hour and rip it through the skies. And these things will rip through the skies. 40 miles an hour doesn't sound fast. At least I didn't think it sounded fast until you see your drone going through the air that fast. And you realize it takes like 50 feet to stop uh, in front of the tree and stuff like that. So, and then there's also these intelligent flight modes, which has more to do with the camera settings and not so much the actual motor style of the drone. And, and speaking of one of those modes, and I would encourage Mark to try this one when you come out of beginner mode is the tripod mode. 
Yeah. Everything is slow. Like if you, I've taken it where I've put it in tripod mode, hovered it about the height of me and to just walk with it next to me. And at a normal pace of walking, it can just barely keep up. And so everything moves slower. So when you're taking a video, you won't have as much jerkiness as you try and turn it. It's much smoother and a, and a really easy to control mode. And I'm jealous yeah. of that because my model does not, we didn't get that update. Uh, I didn't get it for my drone. I've, I've barely touched the modes. I, I know I've done, I've done a lot of watching. Like, thank goodness for YouTube because it's the <laughs> amount of settings you can get from it, the amount of guys have experimented with it. The, the amount of guys who are serious cinematographers that are using these things as, as uh, pleasure vehicles. There's, uh, there's a guy in Montreal um, who was a, a director and he has this thing and he's doing full-on uh, cinematography videos and showing you what settings to use. Uh, another guy out of England was showing it a setting, a set of settings in um, an island off the coast of Africa, and I have those saved so that when I actually get the thing, when it's actually warm enough to take the thing outside and fly, hopefully next month, um, I'll be able to start playing around with more of the settings on it and start playing with some of the video on it because it's it's uh, the amount of layers on it are, are equivalent to an SLR. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use all the preset settings you want, but then if you want to start playing with exposure settings and white balance and and shutter speed and all those same settings are there. On the on the Mavic, I would suggest two white balance settings. If it's sunny, go in sunny. If it's cloudy, go in cloudy. Um, and those just keep it in those two. Don't go in auto because you'll find that editing later of the video to be much more difficult if the white balance is jumping all around. Yeah, I've noticed that too. I have the same thing. Usually I will keep it at a hard setting. Mm-hmm. I will set it instead of letting it go in auto because you're right, as you're flying into a shadow, it's it's changing and editing that is a pain. Uh, so so some of these flight modes, when people are kind of trying to conceptualize what they mean by all these like tripod mode and point of interest mode, when you are flying these drones, um, DJI makes professional drones that have two separate cameras on them, but these only have one. So as the pilot, whatever you are seeing as you are flying is also what the camera is seeing and picking up, which makes it difficult because if you want to do some cool shots where you're rotating around an object, imagine going in a circle, but you want to keep your camera pointed at the person, that's really difficult to do on the sticks if you're manually flying it because you're going to be a little bit jittery and you can't see out the side of this, out the side of the drone. So you have no idea where you're going. Um, so first of all, a lot of times it's good to use these modes when you do have a really good view of the drone. But what these things do, so if I use point of interest mode, for example, what point of interest mode does is it says, okay, here is the object, uh, a house, for example, for my, it's the number one mode I use when for filming houses because you mark where the house is, you back up, set your altitude wherever you want, and it will do a perfect circle around that object and keep the camera pointed directly at the center of the object the entire time. So uh, really intelligent flight modes, and you are literally not doing anything on the controller. Once you get it all set, you're not even touching the sticks, um, and it's doing everything for you. Another really cool mode is basically imagine if you had a rope that was tied between two objects, your drone pretty much stays on that line. It doesn't come off the line and you are just in full control of the camera. So as I press, I can keep holding forward. It'll fly along that imaginary rope and then I can rotate it and really control the camera. Uh, It sets up really nice shots if you're doing like fades across Mm -hmm. objects. If you're coming across a car or a house, you have full control over that camera. You're not worried about the direction of the drone because that's when things get confusing is when you're pressing forward and then you rotate the camera. Well, now forward is a different direction. 
Right. It's not the same direction. So that's when it really gets complicated. And those smart modes that DJI have come in handy. I saw a video of one guy that was chasing um, cruise ships. Yeah. And I, I think I saw that same video. He, he goes oh, like 10,000 feet out of sea. Really far yeah. out there. So he, he, had a fan, he had a Phantom Pro or Phantom that he was taking a video of the Mavic taking off. So he, he, he has a Phantom there. He lets go of the sticks. It hovers there. He launches a Mavic, videotapes the Mavic going off with the Phantom. Then gets the fandom the Mavic into, uh, no, it was a preset fly mode. Oh. Like fly to here, so he touches a, a thing. On oh, the tap to fly. Yeah, tap to fly, and it just points towards the, the cruise liner. Then the Mavic's going by itself, takes this phantom, lands the phantom, then takes over the, the Mavic, and then puts in the sport mode and starts doing circles around the cruise liner, like eight nine thousand feet out. Yeah, it's and really cool. He he is full crazy. videos the whole time. He, he will shoot until he's like at 50% battery and say, okay, I guess it's time to head home. And he is 9,000 feet out to sea. Over water. Over <laughs> water. <laughs> yeah, and people on, cruise ship, people on a cruise ship are waving to the, to the thing because some of them will see it. Right. Because um, they're not quiet. You hear it no. before you see it. And he, he will, yeah. Go ahead. Even if you have it right above you sometimes, you'll hear it. And you'll be like, you're trying to look at a blue sky and find a white <laughs> object. At least for, I guess yours is black, but mine's white. And you're like, I can't even see it. <laughs> I've I've seen some videos where the people are you know a, a drone is flying around them and they're trying to they're trying to knock it down or hit it with fishing poles or mm-hmm. right those those kinds of things guys I want I do there was uh, we're going to run out of time so I want I do want to cover a little bit of the legislation that, yes. that we talked about earlier because I think that's important Mike you showed your card mm-hmm. uh, Mike Weger you showed your card Mike Howard have you gone FAA have you done that here no and and probably it's simpler to talk about FAA first because the mark can go into the Canada stuff in in America in the USA covered by the FAA if you want to do commercial like Mike Mike uh, Weger's doing you've got to get that license you got to pay that fee. If you don't, if you want to be a hobbyist like me you, and you have a drone that's heavier than, I think, 0.55 pounds or somewhere around there. 55 you, pounds, I think, right? No, not 55. Oh, heavier than 0.5. You have to yeah. be less than 55. Yeah, you have to be less than not registered. If you're more than that, which the Mavic is, right. uh, you need to register with the FAA. It's $5. You just agree to their terms, and the terms are fairly simple. Don't fly over 400 feet. Don't fly um, over a crowd's. Um, don't fly within five miles of an airport and that might be it. It's only four of them. It's very small. Yeah. You do need to put somewhere on your device and on mine, you talked about the battery earlier. So you just yank off the battery and inside here, I have my FAA number, um, and my name. So you have to have somewhere on your device, your FAA number. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much it. If they find it, that, yeah. that somebody can get it um, returned yeah. to you. You know what? I, I was running a race. Uh, this wasn't too long ago. And they were, I think this was back in the fall. And the race uh, you know, director was using a drone over people because it was, you know, they were filming people on the, in the race for, for the race video because that's, you know, real popular among us, us mm-hmm. uh, racers. So that, that breaks that rule, right? That's well, uh, the commercial, it may be different. You, you can, can have it. them sign it you, as long as they're aware and yeah. consent to it. So I'm sure somewhere in the form you signed a race, there was some line in there about being filmed because you can be very broad about it. You know, if yeah. you know you're being filmed and the drone is filming you, that counts. Um, it's very, as long as they know about it, then it's fine. You can't go fly over a crowd of people that are unaware or do not consent to themselves being filmed. Exactly. If, I, if I'm a parent and my kid's playing soccer and I decide, hey, it'd be cool to run my drone over them, I can't do that. I, no. I could not go out there and do that. Um, 
and that, and and then the apps, the DJI app, and and a bunch of other apps will tell you if you're within a helipad. I'm 4.8 miles away from a helipad, so I should be calling the helipad, not to ask for permission, but just to let them know I'm going to be flying in this area about this height for about this long of time. I've called and never answer, so I've done what all I can do. If you're within five miles of an airport, it's a little different, but um, with a helipad, you, you just need to notify them. Right. And and when you get your license, you don't get any special perks, right? There's no, oh, since he took the test, he's licensed, he knows what he's doing, he gets to be within four miles of an airport, or he gets to fly to 600 feet. It's the same rules across the board. Really, the only reason would be for commercial use that you're using. So a lot of people are going out there, and then when someone stops them, they're claiming it's a hobby uh, instead of doing it for commercial use. So it's there's it's kind of a they're going to have to reform the issue a little bit because um, in my opinion, I think it would be nice if everyone had to take the simple test because I've known a lot of people that get these drones and just don't even, don't even just like, not that they're trying to be reckless. They just don't think about it. And they're up at 600, 700 feet. And even if you're not within 500 or sorry, within five miles of the airport, I live within seven miles of a really tiny little farm airport that has crop planes landing and they fly pretty low over our house and you would probably be right in their range if you're anything above 400 and 400 even sometimes feels really high it it sounds low but 400 feels high when you see it um so i think it would be beneficial if everyone had to take the test and then if there were some more maybe leniencies for people who um, went above and beyond and did a different test or a flight test. Cause right now all you have to do is a written test. There's no, um, you know, practical exam in the sense for the license. I wish we were like that. Let's talk. Well, let's talk about <laughs> You guys have uh, allegedly really good healthcare, but really strict uh, regulations on what you can do. So Mark, talk a little bit about what Canada says. So the Canadian laws are, uh, first off, the, the, the FAA thing that you guys have, I love the fact that you put an FAA number down on it. The law, the way it's written in Canada, is you need to put your name, address, and phone number on your drone. There's no way I'm putting my phone, my address, my drone. I'll put my name, and I'll put my phone number, and if you want to try and get a hold of me, they can call the cops and say, I found this drone with this, this stuff on it. Um, you're not allowed flying uh, nine kilometers, which is about five miles from any airport. That's, that's fine. We're only about to go to 300 feet. For whatever reason, I chose 300 instead of 400. So we lost 100 feet, foot of, of vertical. And the one that really burns everybody is um, no closer than 75 meters from any building, uh, people, or animal. So the example Mike Howard says was you could be flying in the desert and fly over a lizard and all of a sudden you can get a fine. Um, the fine for that is up to $3,000. Um, if you try doing it on the commercial side, because I was looking again at what Mike was doing, saying, well, I have some friends who are realtors and they're not, if I could give them an inexpensive drone solution, they'd go after it yeah. because the drone solutions that are out there now are expensive. If I want to fly for a, uh, a commercial um, opportunity, first off, I had to fill out a SS, SFOC, which I think is, is some, it stands for a special permission to fly. It takes two to three weeks to get it back. So if a realtor calls up and says, yeah, I want you to do some drone footage, like, yeah, okay, so I got to apply for it, and I should be able to do it in three weeks. Um, and that's if everything goes through. Um, after doing these for a number of years, then all of a sudden you can get an exemption and says, okay, now you can fly, now you can just go and do it and report it, and you can do it. Um, but they've, they've 
to me, it should be more like a driver's license, like what you guys, similar to what you guys have over there. It's, it's a right, it's a privilege, not a right. If you prove that you can do it, if you prove that you're responsible, if you admit to saying, okay, yes, I'm going to abide by all these rules, you have a little more leeway with it. Um, they basically, and again, looking on YouTube, you can see a lot of people saying the same thing. They've almost killed the drone uh, hobby in Canada, or they're going to make everybody illegal for doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that they said Mark Garneau, who's the, the uh, minister who put it in place, uh, he came up with this policy because he said that the drone incidents have increased. They don't tell us what the incidents are. They don't say there's been 180 drone hits. They just say a drone incident. So a drone incident could be somebody gets kicked out of a park for flying a drone. Um, they said that those have gone from something like 80 three or four years ago to 180 last year. Well, how many people are going to the hospital because they fell on a skateboard park or on a scooter or on a bicycle for not wearing a helmet? Or there's probably a lot more than 180 or curling clubs. People fall down in curling clubs have to go to the hospitals. There's a lot more than 180 of those a year. But for whatever reason, it's a new hot button that journalism is just pushing to the forefront saying it's, it's a big issue. So hold on, Mark, wait a minute. You said a curling club. That's, that's the ice things, right? Where they, yes. and they sweep it and it's, it's really hot during the Olympics here in the United States, but nobody ever watches it after that. that, that you're saying there's, there's accidents in curling. Club? The, typically every time there's a curling club, there's a bar attached to it. <laughs> oh, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you get people having a couple of beer. And the other thing about curling is you play in a tournament. And then you have three or four hours off and then you play another game and then you have another couple hours off. Well, you get off the ice, you're going to the bar and then you get off the bar, you walk onto the ice. (laughs) And it also tends to be a, a, um, the sport has a wide age range on it. So I know I came back from a curling bond spiel that work puts on and I know somebody who's fallen down twice in one day and they said now, and actually they announced it this year, if you fall on the ice, they're calling 911. Mm-hmm. Due to liability concerns, if you fall at all on the ice, they call nine one one. Well, is that equivalent to a drone incident? Like that's we don't know how they didn't say attacks by drones. They just said drone incidents. So we have no idea what it means. You know, and here in America, I imagine it's that way there and in other places. Drone incident maybe someone. I think if people see drones. They, some people have a negative connotation with drones. They see mm-hmm. drones and they think that dude is spying on me, and he could be. But vast majority of the time, they're not. Where I, you know, I'm out there looking at other things. I'm trying to avoid people. And if you see my drone, I'm not looking at you. And if I'm 300 feet up, 200 feet up, I can't peer through your windows and see anything. <laughs> uh, I'll show an example here if, if we all can see it. That is at 250 feet uh, up in the air. Can y'all see that? Yeah. Yep. And if you can see it the, near the top of the screen, that's a, a slide. And there's two little specks. If you can barely see them at the edge of that little oh, curve. Yeah, two little kids, or you? That, no, that's me. Oh, okay. So that's at two hundred, a little over two hundred feet, and that's what you—that's what you would look like. So you're not spying on people at that height. Um, the one thing I do do is I see people around and they want to come and talk to me. I I try to make an effort to talk to them and say, "Hey, here's what's happened." I might even show them the screen and talk to them about it, rather than try and make it a confrontational uh, situation. Right. I actually tried, I took a picture from the front of my house, my wife inside the window and in a picture window. And I was only 40 feet away from her. And even at that range, the the shots you're getting are not, they're not a spy machine. 
mission. Well, exactly. This is not like the UAV things that you see or where they're like a mile in the air that they consume down with. I think that's not what we have here. Nice. So um, I'll show one of mine as an example too. I was up 300 feet or no, 250 feet and shot back at the resort we were at. So I don't know if you guys can see that. So shot back at the resort. And I mean, just like uh, Mike was saying, if there was a person even standing on their balcony and this drone, I mean, when you were looking out at the drone, it looked like it was relatively close. Like from someone who doesn't know about drones, they would definitely think that that thing could like see them. And that's definitely, you're looking for a much different picture. You're not looking to spy on people. You're looking to get a good scenery, a uh, good backdrop. You're not worried about that. So Because the dr- I know the, uh, the, pro, the, the Phantom has a little bit wider. I think you're 24... Um, millimeter or something like that you're a little bit wider than what we are on the mavic but both of them are wide angle lenses they're not zoom lenses exactly but that's what a lot of people are worried about right with these drones is that you're gonna fly them up to a window and spy on them is that what people are worried about too yeah Uh, i think most of them aren't worried about these things crashing i mean i don't think that that's on the forefront they're worried about their picture being taken or something like that but uh one interesting part over just real quick when we talk about what the future could hold for legislation it's interesting when you look at your dji app and the data that it records for each flight and when you send your drone in to be fixed was the first time i really even looked at the flight data because they require you to upload that flight data for them to look at um, to make sure you weren't doing anything really reckless with the drone that would void the warranty of what they cover under dji care but when you look at what they record It is an aerial map. You can hit play and it will go through your entire flight as if not showing the video, but showing like as an aerial flight, it'll show the track you took, the speeds you were at as you're going. It's it's basically like watching a simulation of a drone flight. Um, And you have that for every single time you take off and land your drone. And one thing I could see them doing is at any point where you went above 400 feet, because it shows the altitude, speed, all that stuff, or and it also shows your location. Whenever that violates one of the rules, DJI would maybe be required to submit that to something, or it would get logged so that if something bad happened from that flight, um, there was no way you could use or delete that data. It was logged on the DJI server or something like that. Or they could just prevent the thing from doing it. They could hard well, code that in you. I, I thought about that too, but that's one of those almost like a, a car situation where if we're all going 60 and something's coming at me, I might need to accelerate to go around them. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know if that's really, I thought about that. Right. Yeah. But is there situations where you would need to, okay, I'm at 400. Here comes a plane. <laughs> Do you go up <laughs> or down? Well, you can't go down very fast in a drone. It takes right. forever to drop, but it, it's real quick to um, gain altitude. The other use for that data is, uh, I think it's called healthy drones or something. There's a place where if you lost your drone, let's say you fly in and something happened to it and it crashed and you can't find it. You can upload that data to this website and it will give you that, that information and say, we think it's right here. And then you can go oh, look for it. Interesting. I did not yeah. know that. That's cool. Yeah. There's one guy I know in Ottawa had a, he was flying over a waterfall, uh, like a frozen waterfall. And he, he flew through one whole battery, put second battery in, starts flying along. He has 50% battery left, and he's only 40 feet from the drone. All of a sudden, the drone, he, he hits, uh, he's watching the video, and he's like, okay, well, I'm about done. He tries hitting up on the stick, and it starts dropping. And then he, it starts going to return to fly, return to home mode, and it starts dropping more. And you look at a battery monitor, and the thing's dropping down, dropping down, dropping down. And he had a defective battery. Mm. So they went after he went after DJI and they replaced it. They asked him for all the flight data, 
And they said, yeah, you had like 60% battery. And then a minute later, you were at 40% battery. And a minute after that, you're toast. And it went into a, a fast moving water. And uh, there are rules apparently in the mat in the manual saying don't fly in the cold. Yeah. Um, yeah. This guy was flying and it, it was minus 10 Celsius and they still covered it. Hmm. Um, um, somebody out in chat asked uh, the GGI cover shotgun blast. So, Shotgun pellets. If you if you shoot one of these down, you will probably be arrested. At least in America, it happened in California. <laughs> You'll be arrested, and you will have to buy that person a new drone. So even mm -hmm. if it's flying over your property, you know there's some debate on how much of the airspace over your property you you own, where you stop owning airspace. Mm -hmm. But if they're flying over your house and you shoot it down, that person who owns that drone should call the cops and have you arrested, yep. and you you'll get a new drone. Wow. One interesting other, we, I thought, Mark, I thought where you were going with that was uh, you have to be really careful about the airspace you're flying into because if you start in open airspace and then you get into restricted airspace, that thing does not return to home. It drops and lands. It, it initiates an auto land. Um, so there have been people, I, when I was out in LA for the longest time, I got really kind of into the LA drone scene. Uh, there were problems because in the city, there is airspace that's not within five miles of the airport. You wouldn't know it, but it's it's restricted airspace and it's right above tall buildings. So these guys are flying at 400 feet. It hits restricted airspace and all of a sudden this thing's landing on top of a building and they're hoping that a wind gust moves it and they can at least it lands on like the parking structure next door. Um, but if you if you just go on YouTube, you can actually find one of these. Uh, one of the guys got it on video of it actually happening, and it, it's really interesting. So you got to really be careful and know the airspace that you're flying in. And it's but all that technology that's just the baffling part, right? When you go to take off, this DJI with all of its GPS will tell you what type of airspace you're in, um, and and so you're well aware. But you just got to make sure you don't that doesn't change mid flight. Got to know where you're going. Got to know where you're going. I don't know where you're going. It's just like driving around. You don't want to get stuck in East LA. Right. You know? <laughs> I was I, actually last time I was in LA, I was driving through the city and ways, you know, traffic was terrible and ways was taking me all these back ways. <laughs> so scary I, went, back ways. <laughs> I went through a, a really scary neighborhood in LA and uh, it, same thing with the drone, right? You want to be careful. You got to, it's not just in what I hear you guys saying, it's not just, yeah, it's a hobby and some of those things, but you got to know some rules. You got to be smart about it. You got to make sure you know your surroundings. Yeah. It's probably worth it to do a little homework if you're going to go to a new place and fly. Uh, you know, Mark, when you're traveling to Europe here shortly, are you going to do some advanced scouting to kind of see where you can and can't fly? I asked oh, already, about rules. Already done. So I have a Word doc I'm taking with me that's the four countries we're going to it has a drone regulations for those four countries. Um, I have relatives in two of the four places and I've asked both of them about it. Um, but I have, I have a document taken with me saying, and a lot of it is, have you done the due diligence? So if, if I get asked by a police officer over there, uh, are you allowed to fly? I'm like, well, when I looked at this website, which is your government's website, I read this, which I thought meant I could do this. So at least you've no. shown that you've, you've done that first step of, I read the rules and I interpret them this way. If I'm wrong, I apologize, but I did go looking for it and I'm trying to do what I should be trying to do. Yeah, majority mm -hmm. of them are are sensible though. They're they're line of sight and not above people, and away from airports. Yeah, be sensible in the U.S. You can't fly in national parks either, so all national parks are off limits. Um, and I mentioned, you know, we're talking about shooting down the thing and flying over somebody's house. I wouldn't fly over somebody's house, you know, unless I was heading somewhere and it was in the way. But you know, be sensible. You, 
you're not spying on somebody, but you can understand where somebody might think you are and you don't want to be that person. Well, and I think Mike, you nailed it. Like overall as a pilot, I think just the community, what you said when people come up to you and you almost invite them in, explain yeah. it, show them the screen instead of getting confrontational right away and giving drone pilots a bad name. I think it's kind of, I think we might set the way on where legislation goes because if the drone community is kind of a teaching community um, where we kind of explain the ins and outs of the hobby, it's a much better way to do it. So I liked what you said. I think that's actually the way to go about it. Now, if, you, if, there's, if there's little kids around, because I've been in a park where there's nobody there and then these kids come and uh, they see the drone and I heard the words, let's go get it. <laughs> and, 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 you know, uh, shivers went down my spine. So what, I, what you do there is just make sure you hover, get it up in the air a little bit out of throwing distance and uh, then talk to them and do that and then take it away. Yeah. <laughs> you, install a, you install a pellet gun on the end and when they start to get around, you just pop them real quick. You know, it's Stay a really easy solution. Yeah. There you go. The um, this it's interesting because I the drones have come very very fast for the consumer on the consumer side. I remember just a couple of years ago, they were kind of jankety and cheap, and you know we were talking, and they're probably still out there, right? The three or four or five, uh, well maybe maybe the one or two or three hundred dollar drones are still out there, right? But they don't right. do very much, and they they you know. Uh, but to hear you guys talk about it, it's just is getting to me. It's getting more and more pro as we think yeah. about what what's we out there. When you take that drone up for the first time and it just hovers there, even though you've heard people tell you that, it is still shocking when it does that and how good it does. Or more impressive, when the drone is tilting like this because of the wind and your video comes out perfectly yeah. still because of how good the gimbal is. And when I have a higher resolution camera on my DJI than I do in my Nikon camera, it's just, it's really impressive. It, it has become pro. And I, that's, that was my favorite part was watching the drone like this fighting the wind and it's shaking and the video comes out perfectly stable. It's awesome. Well, when you think about it, it is very similar to the SLR market, right? If you think 15 years ago, an SLR was, was really mm -hmm. high end. And unless you're a professional photographer, you didn't have one. And now every second, third household has an SLR. Right. Yeah. Completely. And, and you're talking about the cheaper ones. I have, I bought a $50 one to begin with and it is junk. But if you take it, I think the battery lasts maybe five minutes. So I have like seven of them. And when we go out, I let my son take that one and you get in a big enough field and you get it up a little bit and it's harder to control, but it's still a little bit of fun. He flies it around, does that. It's super lightweight. So it doesn't require any FAA thing. And he has crashed it like you wouldn't believe. And it's completely fine. Now the camera is worthless. But it's still fun to fly that little guy around. So and it has the same controls. You don't have to yeah. spend a thousand dollars on one of these things to have fun. And that might be the good, the best. When we think about the average guy, that might yeah. be the the best first step is to jump into it the fifty or a hundred dollar, you know, drone and get good at the, you know, learn how to fly it under difficult situations. And then when you get when you move your way up, right? It's I, I don't know. I might disagree. I, oh. if, if for for anyone that's not for a kid. Definitely. Perfect way to go. If you're an adult who is going to get into this, it's just like you it's, I think it's a waste of a hundred dollars because you're going to get it. It's going to fly like crap. You're going to get annoyed. You're going to crash it. Yeah. It's good to learn stick mechanics and stuff like that, but you can learn that in beginner mode buying the DJI the first time. And then you've got all the backup safety features. So you really don't, you know, wreck your, I don't know. For me, I think if you're going to eventually end up on the DJI anyway, you should jump there at the beginning, but that's not always the case. So. What do you got there, Mark? That's, that's say again, I'm using my hand a lot tonight for scale, but that's a drone, right? That was a $15 drone. I think it'll do flips inside the house. Um, 
it's an indoor drone, but the the controls for this guy are the same as the controls on the Mavic. So the left stick is your is your altitude and your rotation. The right stick is your forward, backward, left, and right. So as far as learning the actual how the controls work, any of the drones I have or any of the copters I have, like this little guy too, are all using the same the same uh, two stick system. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with that for learning how to control a drone, and then. It makes it takes some of the stress off of trying to figure out how to control it as you're trying to use all the video features too. You know what I agree with with Mike is that when I got that fifty dollar thing, I almost didn't buy a Mavic because it was hard to control and kept crashing and and all that kind of stuff. And I almost thought I don't I won't I don't want one of these. It's discouraging. Yeah, know. so it was discouraging. So I gave it to my son and said, "Here, you play with it," and he has a blast with it. He doesn't care if he crashes it. Um, and then I got this one. Now we'll tell you what this one because it's so expensive. I'm very timid with it. And I see, I look up and see a thousand dollars in the air and, and don't want to do too much with it. So, but I think with, as you use it more, you know, Mike, you've used it more than, than me. As you use it more, you get, you get a little better with that and a little more easy with it. And at some point you probably feel like I've got my thousand dollars worth of use out of it. And while I don't want to break it, I'm willing to push it a little more. Yeah. I think I've logged about 500 hours of flight time. Yeah. Oh. Where I've probably done. 10. So, yeah. So, I mean, it, you get really, really comfortable yeah. with it. So, very cool. Well, gentlemen, uh, with that, we'll give it a wrap. I actually was at Infotech 2017 here in Omaha this week. It's one of our big tech conferences here in town. And I interviewed uh, a guy from Kiva, the Kiva Foundation over the, uh, and they, they do major bridge and building construction around the United States. And they're starting to look at drones for things like inspections and, you know, running the job sites and some of those things. And so did a really cool interview with him. I will try to get that mixed up and not it won't be tagged to this, but it will drop into the stream here at some point and, uh, and it kind of be a, in addition to this. I don't know if it'll be this week or next or it could be a couple weeks down the road, but we'll get those wrapped up. So for Mark and Mike and Mike, guys, thanks for jumping in here. Stay around. We'll do a little post-show. I know Mike Wieger's got to go, but Mark and Mike, you should be good for a few minutes, I would hope, and we'll do a little bit of post-show if you want to hang around. One of the benefits, if you join us live on Thursdays, if you come out here at 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, uh, the, the post-show sometimes is uh, more fun and even a little bit better sometimes. Sometimes worse, but <laughs> But uh, then, then the live show. So, guys, hang tight. Don't forget, uh, Patreon link's available out there. If you want to financially support Home Gadget Geeks, you can do it there. If you want to send me an email, jim at theaverageguy.tv. Don't forget that we are uh, both web and media hosting is done by Maple Grove Partners, secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people that you know and trust. You know that's Christian. For more information, uh, visit maplegrovepartners.com and know that plans start as little as 10 dollars a month that's for everything by the way it's a good uh, good deal uh, we'll get you set up and get you rolling if you're thinking about doing it you can also uh, don't forget you can also listen to us live on the road best way to do that is at the home gadget geeks app mobile app available homegadgetgeeks.com we'll thank LastPass for their sponsorship of that mobile app and of course that is done on spreaker as well and so if you uh, if you go out there and download that that we thank LastPass for their sponsorship. We are live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern. we got a couple good shows for you coming up. I think I'm scheduled uh, three weeks out now. We've got uh, Valerie from Liberty coming next week. I gave her a heart attack. I somehow sent her an email this week and said, hey, you ready? And <laughs> she's like, I thought that's two weeks from now. So uh, Valerie, been here from, from Liberty. They are the Uber for, for rural, and it'll just be interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the technology that they're using. 
uh, to help people out in rural communities. So that'd be pretty cool. Rich Hay is coming on the 13th, which is we're going to talk all things. Man, that's going to be perfect timing because the creator's update will have just released on the 11th. So they announced that this week that uh, that will launch on the 11th. So Rich Hay will be here to talk about Windows 10 and the creator's update and, and all things that. So the next two weeks, we have a lot lined up for you again. We're live every Thursday, 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern. AverageGuy.tv slash live. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you guys. And with that, we'll say goodnight, everybody.